So one of our traditions at College Hills that I really enjoy, and that is the tradition around Thanksgiving. Every uh, year we have this service, we call it our pre-Thanksgiving uh, service, and one of the, I think, things that makes that service incredibly meaningful is hearing uh, testimonies that night. And so this past uh, Wednesday night, we had a full room, uh, we had wonderful testimonies, it was wonderful to hear from our sister Amy Phillips and share how that God is good, how God is loving, and how God is faithful. And it was also good to hear uh, Eric and Ellen Kinney, uh, and they stood and they shared the same. And it was just a, a wonderful evening, uh, and I just, I just love um, that, that event. We are involved in a message series, Grateful, Thankful, Blessed. And today we're going to talk about that last word. We're going to talk about what it means to be blessed. Uh, it's an important word. It's a good word. But before we get into the message series, we want to uh, share a wonderful blessing, and that is we found out last evening uh, that, that Alex and Christine Searcy, they had their baby early, little poppy, and so they are, uh, the baby's doing well, uh, mom's doing well, I think even dad is doing okay. And so we're, we're just rejoice with the Circes, appreciate so much them doing their part for uh, church growth, so appreciate that very much. Um, but, but we just celebrate with, with this family. And what a blessing family is, what a blessing children is, are. And that's one of the, I think, highlights of the whole Thanksgiving season where we get to be with our family and share a wonderful meal and fellowship with those whom we love. So today we're in Psalm 103 as we think about that word blessed. Psalm 103 begins this way, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now think about that statement for just a moment. David is blessing God. Now we certainly understand what it means we think about how God has blessed us, but, but how do we bless God? We, we are familiar with that passage of Scripture in the New Testament when moms and dads brought their little children to Jesus, and they sat in Jesus' lap. And I just love the image when I think about that moment in Jesus' ministry where the kids are climbing around and they're playing with Jesus' beard and hair and there's just such a beautiful, beautiful image. And we know that Jesus blessed the children. We get that. We know that, but, but the question is, how do those children bless Jesus? We know how that, that God blessed David. But how can David bless God. And that's what David says in this very first verse, bless the Lord, O my soul. And I think we're given some insight into how we might bless the Lord in the very next verse where it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and forget. Now that word is really important because we're prone to forget. But one of the ways we bless the Lord is by remembering all of the ways he's blessed us, all of his benefits, and then by giving God thanks for all of those benefits. I'll tell you another way we're to bless the Lord, and we find it in the very uh, next verse, we're to bless the Lord with our soul, and we're to bless the Lord with all that is within me. David, as he thought about how he was going to bless the Lord, he, he's speaking to himself, 
He's talking to his soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's speaking to himself. And he says, I'm going to bless him with all that is within me. Psalm 103 is such an amazing passage of Scripture. And one of the key words you'll find in that psalm is that little word, all. If you have your Bible open to Psalm 103, if, or if you have, have your device open, you'll just see the word all found numerous times. So in, in verse 1, the second stanza, all my inmost being praise his holy name. He says we're to not forget all his benefits. In 3, he forgives all our sins. In the next phrase, he heals all our diseases. Over and over again through Psalm 103, we have that phrase, that little word, all and here's the point God's all cannot be praised with less than our all and so when we gather in a room like this and Barry stands in front of us and he he leads us in worship one of the ways that we bless God is through our singing one of the ways we praise the Lord is is by giving him all that is within us. We don't do it in a half-hearted, slipshod sort of way. God's all cannot be praised with less than our all. And so as we said, one of the ways we bless the Lord is by remembering all of the ways he blesses us, and then we give him thanks for that. And so for the next few minutes this morning, I want us to spend just a little bit of time as we work through Psalm 103. And I want us to be reminded of all of the ways that God has blessed us. And so in the very next verse in our, in our reading, we find out that God forgives all of our sins. Isn't that marvelous? He forgives every one of them. That's who God is. God is a great lover, and God is a great forgiver. He forgives all our sins. Now, as we're reading through Psalm 103, and as we read through the Psalms generally, a lot of the Psalms are not attributed, meaning we don't know who actually wrote the Psalms. They're compiled, but Psalm 103 is attributed to David. And so think about this for a moment. As David is writing Psalm 103, can you, can you think of someone like David who who's so filled with praise because he knows his sins are forgiven. You think David ever needed his sins to be, to be forgiven? Was there ever a time when David fell short of the glory of God? Well, certain, most certainly there is, and maybe we remember the most egregious moment in the life of King David when he needed forgiveness was that spring night when his men were off at war. David goes on top of the palace, and he's, he's just surveying all that all of his kingdom. He's looking around and he looks down and he sees a house below him and there was a, a woman, a very beautiful woman, and she'd gone on top of her house. It was cool and she was bathing. David looked at her. He wanted to speak with her so he sent one of his servants to go get her. He knew who she was. Her name is Bathsheba. She's married to a man by the name of Uriah the Hittite. And so the servant goes to get Bathsheba, and when, when the king calls for you, you, you don't say no to the king. And so Bathsheba goes to meet David, and David takes Bathsheba, has an inordinate relationship with her, sends her away, and later on, sometime later, he gets word back that she is pregnant. 
So what's, what's David going to do? Well, David springs into action. He's going to cover his tracks, and so he does many things. But one of the things he does after he calls Uriah home, and Uriah, it, it seems, has, has more character than David has, Uriah is not going to go in and be with his wife because, because his men are, are at battle. And so what does David ultimately do? David sends Uriah back into battle. He contacts Joab, his brother, and he says, Joab, what I want you to do is I want you to send Uriah to the front lines of the battle, and I want you to withdraw all the other men from, from battle. And he does that, and, and Uriah is killed in battle, and David breathes a sigh of relief. He's covered his tracks. Everything is going to be fine. And yet we know not everything is fine. Eventually his sin is found out even though he takes Bathsheba and marries her. His sin is found out and David in time is sorry for what he did. Think about what David's involved in. Think about his own sin. David is involved in adultery. David was involved in a a murder plot. And so in Psalm 51 we read about David's response to all that. It's another psalm attributed to David. It is a psalm that helps us understand something of what's going on inside David's heart. And here's what David says in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. David was in a spot where he committed sin. Maybe you've you've been in a spot, maybe you haven't committed the exact same sins of David, but maybe you've experienced, you've committed sin, and as a result of that, you've experienced major consequences. You couldn't take back what you did. You couldn't cover over what you did. You couldn't fix things. And so now, like David, you're embarrassed and you're sorry Maybe your sin had the unintended consequence of affecting those you love, those around you. But just like David, the good news is all of us can be forgiven. The good news is God does have mercy on us. God does have unfailing love expressed to us and if you have been forgiven if you're in this room today and you can say I've been forgiven by God then you can stand up and give praise to God just like David does in Psalm 103 he forgives all our sins I like what David says down in verse 10 of Psalm 103 he says this he does not treat us as our sins deserve speaking of God God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Understand, that, that, is, a, that is a distance that's, that's infinite. That's how far our sins have been removed from us if we've responded to the Lord And yet I realize I'm speaking to some people right now. Maybe you're convinced that God has forgiven you. Maybe you did something and it was embarrassing to you and you fell short of God's glory and it it had those unintended consequences that I've, I've talked about. And yet for some reason, you cannot forgive yourself. I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. I want you to know that God 
in the person of Jesus took your place on the cross. You can be forgiven. I once read of a secular humanist, an atheist, who once said, what I envy about you Christians is forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. But brothers and sisters, we do. We've been forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, we can stand with David and we can bless the Lord by remembering that he forgives all of our sins. We are so blessed today. But David remembers something else. He remembers this in verse 3. He remembers that God heals all our diseases. That's a, a beautiful statement we read. And I think this ultimately means that wherever and whenever there is healing, it is God who ultimately does it. And David gives credit where credit is due. Sometimes people will ask me, Kevin, do you still believe in divine healing? I will always say, yes, I don't know of any other kind. Because you need to understand, whenever there is healing, it is ultimately because of God's grace and mercy. Oh, sometimes God will use a good doctor or, and nurses and, and nurse practitioners and hospitals. Sometimes God will use a therapist or a counselor to bring healing. Sometimes God uses those means. Sometimes God uses miraculous means. But whenever there is healing, we understand it, it is God who has brought the healing. Anytime I talk about this, especially to a group of church members, everybody, somebody in the room will have a story about how God healed them. You'll talk about how that you went to the doctor and the doctor said, I don't know, there's much else we can do. And yet somehow God brought his healing. I want to say this today, God is sovereign. God knows what I do not know. And so God, in, in Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord says this to us in Isaiah chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we have a similar idea found in the New Testament where Paul says in Romans 11, who can measure the wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God? Who can understand his decisions or explain what he does? There are moments when God does not do what I want, for him, what I want him to do. Sometimes God does not heal when I want him to heal or how. I want him to heal. I'll never forget a conversation we had around the dinner, dinner table years ago. I think I may have told you about this conversation. As most of you in this room know, my wife, my first wife, passed away from colorectal cancer in November of 2006. And so the month of November is always kind of a hard, hard month for us. And people all over the country were praying for her. Our church certainly was praying for her. The elders came and anointed her with oil and, and, and prayed for her. She passed away only after a six-month battle. I'll never forget traveling from, um, she was buried. We have a family cemetery over in Dixon County, and so we, I was living in uh, New Mexico at the time, and so we made that after spending a couple of weeks and spending Thanksgiving with my my sister and her family, uh, the boys and I, we, we drove back to Albuquerque. And I got to tell you, that was, a, that was a strange, lonely journey. 
after we got home and, and experienced some measure of normalcy, we would always have prayer at the dinner table. And, and Trey, who, our baby boy, who was about um, five years old at the time, when he was called on to pray, he would always pray the same thing. God, I thank you for daddy. I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for this food. And God, would you please heal mommy? Now, he had been to the funeral. He'd been to the graveside. I didn't know what to do with his prayer. Every time we would pray, he would offer that same prayer. He would pray for his brothers and for me, and he would thank God for the food, and then he would say, God, please, please heal mommy. I'll never forget what happened one evening after he prayed that prayer for the umpteenth time. Finally, his theologian middle brother, his seven-year-old brother, Reed, he, resp- he decides to speak. After he prayed that prayer, Reed says, Trey, God did heal mommy. She is now with him in heaven. Out of the mouth of babes. You see, God may choose to heal us this side of eternity and give us a few more years of life. But understand All of us in this room, barring an early return of Jesus, will one day die. Our bodies inevitably grow weaker with time and become susceptible to some sort of disease. And and any healing in this life is at best limited and temporary. We all struggle with illness and disease. And God may choose to heal us now and give us a few more years of life. Or God may choose to heal us in eternity. But understand The ultimate healing comes when one day we've breathed our last, our spirit ascends to be with God, and one day God is going to say to Jesus, it is time, and Jesus is going to come back. And Paul tells us that then the dead in Christ will be raised. We will be raised up and given new glorified resurrected bodies that are not susceptible to any sort of disease, any sort of tragedy, any sort of sin. We'll have these bodies that we'll have for eternity. And it's then, my friends, that we experience that ultimate healing. It's then that we're given a body that, that is is immortal Paul describes in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 we give praise to God today because it's God who heals our diseases but notice what else it says David David also says that that God redeems our life from the pit this language of redeeming us from the pit it reminds me a lot of the language that's used in Jonah chapter 2. You remember we had our our message series just a few weeks ago. We were in that little prophetic book, Jonah. And you remember God calls Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? Jonah responds by running in the opposite direction. He tries to get as far away as he can from God. Anytime we run from God, understand it leads down. It does not lead to a good place. It leads down. And so in Jonah chapter 2, from the belly of the whale, here's what we find. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah says, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. It's hard to get further down than the roots of of the mountain. Jonah is in a low place. He's in a dark place. He is in, you can't get lower than that. But God wasn't done with Jonah. And then so Jonah says of God, but you, 
Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 103. Some of you experience the pit of despair. You can't imagine life getting any better for yourself. For some of you, it's the pit of depression. There's a a dark cloud that just kind of hovers over your life, and, and those things that you used to enjoy or appreciate, they don't bring you joy any longer. For some of you, you're experiencing the pit of addiction. It just feels like your life is spiraling downward. You've sunk down to the roots of the mountains. It feels so low. It feels like death. That's exactly where Satan wants you to live. In fact, the word for pit, the word that's used both in Jonah chapter 2 and also in Psalm 103, it's the word sheol. It's the place of death. We can get so low, we feel like we are on the edge of death. And yet understand, God can redeem us. And again, if I were to have a time of testimony, just like a few moments ago, if I were to ask you to testify, if you'd experience some sort of healing, many of you would come up to to this pulpit and you would talk about a moment in your life when you experienced this incredible physical healing or, or maybe spiritual healing. Just like that, if I were to ask you, if you would share how, how your life was in the pit, but how God has redeemed you, how God has brought you out of the pit. We would hear a lot of redemption stories. Churches are places that are filled with redemption stories. Some of you would talk about your struggle with some sort of addiction, maybe, maybe alcohol or drugs, and you would say because of AA, because, because of, of reading Scripture, because of encouragement and blessing of others, God has redeemed you from that, and you've been sober and clean for the last 20 years. Some of you would stand in front of our church today and maybe you would talk about how you had an addiction to internet pornography. You couldn't go a day without clicking someplace that does not bring you closer to God but moves you further away from God. And you would talk about how that you got an accountability partner and how that you began to memorize scripture and you did some other things that helped you to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. Others of you, you could talk about how it felt like your marriage was in pits. Your marriage was as good as dead. And yet you got a good marriage counselor, or maybe you went to Grace Marriage, our marriage ministry, or, or perhaps you got some, good, some older couples who came alongside you and helped coach you about how to have a better marriage And now you can say, oh, God has redeemed my marriage from the pits. As the old statement goes, well, what is the church? We're not a a museum for saints. We don't all just show up on Sunday morning and dress up in our, quote, Sunday best and try to look perfect and good and right. Oh, Oh, no, what the church is, it's a hospital. It's a hospital for sinners. And every last one of us in this room have struggled and are struggling with sin. One of the things I appreciate so much about brothers and sisters who are in AA is they will always begin their AA meetings by saying, hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm an alcoholic. And yet, the funny thing is we show up in church and we do the exact opposite. And yet, what David does here, David says that we have a God who redeems our life from the pit. Jesus says in John chapter 10, And verse 10, 
The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. When your life has been redeemed from the pit, this is what God offers. He offers a life that's full and overflowing. Oh, Satan, the thief, he, he wants to kill and, and steal and destroy and do all of that. But we have a God who offers so much more. And when you understand that, when your life has been redeemed from the pit, friends, you'll worship in a new way. You'll experience church in a, in a different way. You, you'll listen to sermons in a, in a little different way because you'll be so grateful to God. And as we remember God and remember how He has blessed us and are thankful to Him, that's how God is blessed. God does something else. Notice what else He does. God not only redeems our life from the pit, but God crowns our life with love and compassion. In a word study I did this past week, I, I came across the, the background for the word crown, and it's really, really fascinating. The Hebrew word for crown means, as you might expect, to circle or to surround. Our life is encircled with love and compassion. Think about the movement in this, in this text. It's really quite stunning when you look at it. Having reached down and redeemed us from the pit of, of hell, from the pit of Sheol, God now ushers us into a coronation. God now places a crown on our head, a crown of love and compassion. And that's who God is. God is a God of love and compassion. In one of the most theologically important statements you'll find in Scripture. It's found in Psalm 103. It comes out of Exodus chapter 34. Here's what the, the Scripture says about God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. Think about all those words. The Lord is, is compassion. He has a heart for His people. He is, he is gracious. That's what God does. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. We've already seen that in this passage. He is, oh, he gets angry, no doubt, but he, his anger isn't capricious. He doesn't fly off the handle like some of us do. No, he is, he is slow to anger, overflowing, abounding in love. And while the idea of love and compassion is found all through Scripture, we see this same verse in Psalm 30, in, in Exodus 34, and in the book of Jonah, we find that same statement. And here in Psalm, it's found several places in the book of Psalms. While we read this idea in the Old Testament, we see this idea explicitly. It reaches really the high point. When we look to the cross, and we see Jesus with a crown, crown of thorns jammed on his scalp and nails driven through his hands and his feet. We look at the cross, we see such amazing love and compassion. And I want to say it like this, we're crowned with love and compassion because he was crowned with thorns. One of the things I know about you and I know this about you because I know it about me, and it's, it's true for all of us, is we have this need to love and to be loved. That's why we marry, and that's why we produce children and have families, and why family is so important to us. We have a, a need to love and to be loved. But friends, I want you to understand you've never been loved 
Like God has loved you. God is not indifferent. God is not uh, angry or mad at you. God loves you. And he wants to bless your life. He wants you to thrive. And he knows the way that you have life and how, how you will truly thrive is by living a life dedicated to him. And, and when you understand how deeply you have been loved, your heart can't but overflow with love. But there's one more thing. One more thing in this passage where it says God does all of this, but ultimately God satisfies our desires with good things. The word satisfy in this verse means, means being so filled that you want nothing more. And that's what God offers us. He wants to so fill our lives that you'll feel like last Thursday. You know, after you had that wonderful Thanksgiving meal and you pushed back, you know, the plate and you turned on the television, you're getting ready to watch your favorite football game, you're getting ready to watch the Detroit Lions lose to whomever they're, they're playing, and, and you, you push that food back and you're so satisfied that you don't want anything. That, that's what God offers us in Christ. He satisfies us in the deepest place. I love Psalm 84 and verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, where it says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If it's good, God wants you to have it. Alexander White, the old preacher, in summarizing this psalm, the, especially the first six verses, here's what he says. He says, in these verses, we have the law court. So he, he pardons all of our sins. That's good to know. We've been pardoned. We have the hospital. He heals all our diseases. We can go to the great physician. That's, that's the Lord. We have the slave market. He redeems your life from the pit. Some of you were, in the, were enslaved to sin, enslaved to Satan. We have the throne room. For he crowns you with love and compassion. And finally, we have the banquet hall. Imagine this sumptuous feast where he satisfies your desires with good things. Now, there's something I discovered as I was reading Psalm 103 that I don't think I'd ever seen before, but it's really significant. The last verse in this little paragraph is so important. It gives us the result. When we, as God's people, we bless the Lord by remembering all these things that God has done for us and by thanking Him for these. And then notice the, the verse, at the end of verse 5, it says this, so that, what happens when we do that? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't that a beautiful thought? If you want to fly high, if you want to soar, understand, it comes by having a heart filled with gratitude. If you want your youth renewed, meaning if you want to be, you know, live life, you know, with this vim and vigor that comes with youth, it comes when we're thankful and we're grateful people. Grateful, thankful, and blessed. That is, that is who we are. And we understand it comes from God. I don't know where you are today. You may be at a place in the pit. I want you to know if you'll respond to Jesus as we read in Luke chapter 15, 
the Lord will run to meet you. You may be at a place where you haven't responded to the blessings of God. Maybe you've never embraced Jesus in baptism. We would love to help you with that today. And know when you do, your sins are washed away. You can leave this place knowing that I've been forgiven. Knowing, knowing that I can now praise the Lord and live with a sense of confidence and mission and purpose. Today, if you have a need we can help you with, come as we stand and sing.